Wow, what an incredible anointing. God bless your worship team. God bless the people that work behind the scenes in this church. Uh, what an incredible church this is. And your pastor is a gift of God to the body of Christ. And we honor him. And Sister Denise, I made mention that Sister Denise is a mother in a church. There are a lot of first ladies that uh, they don't mind all the respect and honor that that gets. And that's proper. But she's a mother. She does life with people. She loves the people. She's not isolated from people. And I hope she talks to you more than she does me. Uh, she's a two-word person to me. She came in and said four words just to make sure that I couldn't say that again. And, uh, but it is an honor to be here with you and, and that. I want you to stand and open your Bibles with me uh, this morning. And I want you to prepare yourself for the word of the Lord. What, where did the Bible start? It started in darkness. And what did God do? He said, let me turn the lights on. Let me make it where we can see what's going on. Everything God does is about turning on the light because in the light we can fix things. In the light, chaos can be turned into order. In the book of Judges, chapter number 21, the very last verse, go to Judges chapter 21, verse number 25. Israel has descended into chaos. They started out with Gideon and all the great judges and miracles, and they, they ended up, they're in a mess. How many of you know that's where the world is? It's not just America that's in a mess. South Africa's in a mess. Kenya's in a mess. Tanzania's in a mess. China's in a mess. Europe's in a mess. It's, it's a mess. They got sheltered home. You know, there are 190,000 people per square mile in the nation of India. What does shelter at home mean when there's 190,000 people at home? We live in a dangerous time, a crazy time. We live in a time that we need to get back to the revelation of the Word of God because this battle is not against political parties. It's not between races. It's not between blue and black. It's not between rich and poor. It's not between white and red and yellow and, and, and brown. It's not between the nationalities of the countries. This is a spiritual battle. There is a spirit that is in the world today that wants to foment hate and division and bitterness and destruction of other human beings. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God wants us to have life and have that more abundantly. And only through the Bible, only through the gospel of Jesus Christ can enough hearts be changed that a spirit of true love, a spirit of true relationship, a spirit of true re redemption be released. And so today I want you to get into that. And we're going to do this very quickly this morning. Judges chapter 21, verse number 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. May God add his blessing to the word. May you be seated. You know, when you hear that word right, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I'm doing right. Right by who? Right by what standard? Right by what God? Right by what culture? Right is relevant if we make it up ourselves. What do we have in America? Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. This is not a matter of cultural diversity. It's a matter of moral corruption. That word there, right, is the word ethos. And it really is translated in our language, ethics. 
Everybody has decided this is right for me. This is my truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. And the Bible is, I don't have truth. His word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but my me. I don't have any truth. I have an opinion. I have a flawed mental philosophy. I have a human affliction born in sin, saved out of sin, but not perfect. I still need grace. And so for me to say, well, this is right for me, so it's right for you, who am I to say that? I don't want politicians telling me what's right for me. I don't want schools telling me what's right for me. I don't want people telling me what's right for me. God has already told me what is right. I have right. And it's not going to change. And you can say, well, I don't like what it says about this. So what? I care what you think, you care what you think, but I'm not sure God cares. I think God wants us to care about what he thinks. And I think we need to get to that. What happened when everybody did what was right in their own eyes? They took a great nation and they fractured it. They splintered it. They created division and hatred and bitterness. And this group didn't like that group. And this group wanted to destroy that group. And this people don't want to like those people. And men and women and rich and poor and it, 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 when everybody does what's right, we have hurt. If you go to the next book of the Bible, the book of Ruth is a great book in the Bible to read. And if you read about Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, her and her husband went, to Israel, went from Israel into Moab because of the famine in Israel. She took her two sons in there. And while they're there in Moab, her sons marry Moabite women. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us because of our culture. But in that day, for a Jew to marry anybody, it's not a racial issue, it's a religious issue. For a Jew to marry anybody that wasn't Jewish was a reproach to the family. You're bringing shame to the family. So her sons marry these women. And I'm thinking, well, what did you think was going to happen? They're the only girls around. And you wonder why Adam married Eve? A man without a woman is desperate. Uh-huh. Men need women. We don't know what to do. We don't know when to get up. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to wash our clothes. We don't cook right. We don't think right. We don't talk right. We need you telling us what to do. And you know what? That's why society, women are in charge. My mother told me what to do all my life, and then I got married. I told pastor at the restaurant the other day, I said, what is it about women? Have a good day. Be happy. Y'all move that over. The, the waitress tells me what to do. The lady on the airplane, sit down, put your mask on, stand up. Don't, uh, it's like there's women telling me everywhere what to do. And we need you. We, we used to say, stop nagging us. Now we say, please. The older you get, the more you realize you need those women in your life. So you know you're going to marry more about girls. These are young men. Tragedy happens. Dad dies, children die, the boys die. She's left with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. She's starving to death now because without provision in that culture, a woman was in trouble. So now she's going to go back to Israel to be with her kinsmen over there. Orpah, her one daughter-in-law, stays in Moab. Her other daughter-in-law, Ruth, says, I'm going to go with you. Your people should be my people and your God should be my God. And we say, man, that's a great daughter-in-law. But it's so disillusioned, Naomi that she changed her name to Mara, bitter. Because not only have I lost my husband and my sons, now when I go back to my Jewish friends, my Jewish family, I've got Moab here with me, 
a reminder of my son's embarrassment and the death. She didn't want Ruth to go. Ruth was a reject to Naomi, not a blessing. You go over to 1 Samuel. Eli has allowed corruption to come so greatly in the house. His sons are, they're in the temple, but they're not godly leaders. They're ungodly men. And Eli, by tolerating sin in the house, has allowed corruption to come into the temple. He so backslid, he so lost himself, that when this woman, Hannah, comes and is praying, God, I'm bearing. God, give me a child and I'll give him to you. You would say, he's not going to take you. You're married to a polygamist that doesn't even believe in God. Her husband was not a godly man. He was married to multiple women. Eli is so far from God, he can't discern the difference in an intercessor, somebody begging God for a miracle and the crack addict of that day. Surely nothing that came out of that's going to make a difference. But her son Samuel, that's born, that she dedicated to God, took the temple when he was about five and only got to see him once a year. It's a a whole other thought process. God calls him and he goes to Eli and said, you call me. Eli is so still not spiritual, he doesn't recognize the voice of the Lord in this young man's life. It takes three times before he recognizes that. All those things I just read you, Judges and Ruth and 1 Samuel, happened at the same time. How did the nation get all messed up? Because the house of God got all messed up. And when the church becomes carnal and corrupted and the lack of godliness and passion for God becomes lukewarm, the nation goes to hell in a handbasket, as the old phrase would say. What's God going to do? Who's he going to use? Ruth. No, no, no. Ruth caused Naomi to be bitter. God don't care. I'll make her the mother of David and he'll be the sweet singer of Israel. I'm going to use that boy Samuel who was birthed to a polygamous family, who was raised and mentored by a priest that had lost his way with God. I'm going to use that boy to prophesy this nation back into the presence of God. God uses people in the middle of crisis we don't expect. And the sermon is built to help you understand COVID is not going to win. Isolation is not going to win. Uh, Perverted shows on Netflix is not going to win. God is going to raise up a standard. When the enemy wants to come in like a flood, God is going to raise up a standard. He's been doing it since time immemorial. In 1638 in England, there was a gin craze. And there in that gin craze, the women became so incredibly, 1738, the the women became so incredibly addicted to gin that they were pushing carts down the street and they would say, gin for a penny, the straw is free. Addiction became so strong, the bondage of alcoholism became so strong that at one point it was called mother's milk or lady's delight because so many women had become alcoholics. 75% of some of the children under five years of age died that year. Fetal birth syndrome, children with extreme handicaps are being born. What's going to happen? London is corrupted. London is falling. The British Empire is falling away. It's to go to the American frontier. 1798, it was Kentucky, Tennessee, and Alabama was how far west America had come. 
And they couldn't get past the Mississippi River, not because the river was too wide, but because the journey through those states was so perilous for people trying to go west that they couldn't get there. The homelessness, the, the abuse, the poverty, the violence, the robbery, the rape, uh, the, the, it was so dangerous that people said, I'm not going to try to get past that. I'm going to stay here where I'm safe. I may not get to my dream, but I can't go through that. And America got stuck in 1967 the middle of the Vietnam War, riots and anti-war protests, kind of like what we're seeing now. Martin Luther King was assassinated. A group of young people went to San Francisco to the Haight-Hasbury Street, said, we're going to declare this the summer of love is what the media presented. And this group of people that had never been identified before became identified as a people group, hippies. They changed the fashion statement of America. Tie-dyed t-shirts, bell-bottoms, beads, peace symbols. And they gave a new definition to love and peace. And it became sex and drugs. The orgies, the immorality, LSD, Marijuana, purple haze, mescaline, so infected this group of people and so affected the straight Asbury area of San Francisco that people had to leave their homes because of the debauchery going on and the devaluation of their homes. And whether it's the gin craze or the western frontier or that crazy time in America in San Francisco, there were people that said, it's over. It cannot come back. We can't get past this. The dreams are destroyed. The hope is destroyed. Our, our city, our westward expansion, our hopes of a new culture for our children has been robbed. And our children are looking at these crazy people over here as role models, and they're not. And they turn their eyes to the government. They turn their eyes to the media. They turn their eyes to education, and they never find an answer. But in 1738, in the middle of the gin craze, a young preacher by the name of John Wesley, who was a legalist, decided to leave London and come to America to win the American Indian to Jesus and landed in Savannah, Georgia. And there in Savannah, Georgia, he discovered there weren't any Indians in Savannah, Georgia. So he became the pastor of a local church, went to marry a girl, and she rejected him and married another man. And he became so bitter, he refused to serve her family and her friends' communion at the church. Only church in town. If you couldn't take communion, you were rejected. They prosecuted him in, try, in court. He was convicted and had to leave the United States to keep from going to jail and got back to London. Got back to London, broke, beaten, and a failure. He thought his ministry was over. Everybody else rejected him. He went to a Moravian Bible study, German Bible study. And there he heard the preface to the book of Romans by Martin Luther. The gospel of grace. And as he heard about the grace of God, something happened in his heart that had never happened before. He gave his life to Jesus and became born again, not a rules keeper, but a way maker. He began to preach and create little Bible studies. He never intended to start the Methodist church. 
He just had Bible studies going here. And when he had so many Bible studies, he couldn't take care of them. He began to raise up young preachers and make them kind of circuit riders. And there in the circuit, revival began to happen. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God began to move out of this movement that John Wesley started. And as the Spirit of God moved across England, the gin craze was broken in London. And righteousness was restored in the city. And orders restored in the city. And families were restored in the city. Because a rejected person that nobody would have picked out of all the people on earth to save that city and save that nation brought a revival from God because they had an experience at a German Bible study. Out of his Bible studies came a young man at 17 years of age by the name of Francis Asbury. Francis Asbury, 17 years of age, went to preach in a church, and he wanted to be like John Wesley. If I set the pulpit on fire, they'll come watch me burn. And so he gets in this church, a very religious church, a very liturgical church, and he gets on fire, and he's moving and grooving and screaming. The, they, the, the leaders kicked him out. They said, you got to go. We're not having that in our church. So he went across the street to a graveyard, got up on his daddy's tombstone, and kept on preaching. More people left the church and went out to hear him than stayed in the old dead church, and he got so excited about what God was doing. He said, I'm going to go to America and finish what John started. He came to America and came to Kentucky and Tennessee and Alabama in the middle of all that perversion and lawlessness and horrible treatment of each other and he began to build little bible studies and all of a sudden the spirit of god began to move in what is known as the cane ridge revival where 20,000 people would gather together in groups for three to four days and at the end they'd have communion and when they'd be falling out and demons would be coming out and spirit of god be moving and that cane ridge revival is what opened up america to move from where they were to go ahead and west and make all their self the way the west a gentleman by the name of conkin who is the historian for Vanderbilt University said the greatest spiritual revival that affected the growth of America happened at the Cane Ridge Revival. What are we going to do with those hippies? 1967. They're messed up. They're the most messed up group of people we've had in a long, long time. We're thinking, man, we need to arrest those people for drug addiction and exposure and immorality and do something with them. God said, I think I'll turn all those hippies into Jesus people. And that's where the Jesus people came from. Those crazy tie-dyed, bell-bottomed, long-haired freaks turned into Jesus freaks. They got, they, God raised up, we, we would say, do something with them. And God said, okay, I'll just make them the leaders of the next wave of spiritual movement in America. You won't let them in your church, but I'll make a church out of them that is better than your church. I'm going to choose somebody you wouldn't choose. And we're saying, God, what are you doing? God says, I don't choose who you choose. I chose Abraham to have a child. Not so a bunch of old people would try to have physical relationships, but so that you could learn that in every season you can be fruitful. I chose people that you wouldn't choose. I chose David when his own father wouldn't choose him. I had a lady write Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 woman was a lady by the name of Bathsheba that had an adulterous affair with David. But when God got through with her, she became the role model of a godly woman. God chooses people we wouldn't choose. Can you imagine when God is standing at the throne of God and Jesus has come back and he's looking out there and he's saying, uh, got to get somebody to go to the Gentiles. And the angel's saying, who are you going to pick? God, who are you going to pick? 
Who are you going to pick? And they're thinking, is it going to be John? John the beloved. You know, John loves everybody. He'll love Gentiles. You know, Peter's kind of, he, he needs to stay over here with the Jews because he's already messed up. He's still saved and filled with the Spirit. Peter never got straight. I love the life of the Apostle Peter. People say, well, you know, Mario, you need to be real, more refined. Well, Peter never bought into that. P the Apostle Peter, he just kept getting in trouble his whole life, but he was fruitful. And so you don't have to make everybody happy. I drive the change culture nuts. Because I say things you're not supposed to say. I've been nice because you told me to quit saying them. <laughs> I got to get somebody. And God's looking and the angels are looking over God's shoulder and they're looking down. And he goes, that one. And they said, who are you pointing at? He said, that one. God, we must, be, we must not have a good line on. It looks to me like you're pointing at that guy called Saul. He said, that's who I'm pointing at. He's, hey, God, we don't want to tell you what to do. I mean, you're God. But just, do you know he doesn't believe in your son? Do you know he's killing Christians? God said, well, it's not a problem. What do you mean it's not a problem? What's this? Down in the dirt, how'd that feel? Go to a street called Straight, get the blinders taken off your eyes, get filled with the Spirit, I'm going to take you to the third heaven, and then I'm going to torment you and tell you you can't tell everybody what you saw. I think God's got a wicked sense of humor. Can you imagine you get to heaven and can't tell nobody what you saw? I mean, that's just a whole other story in itself. He used the apostle Paul to write the majority of the New Testament. That's not who we would have chosen. So today I'm looking at COVID, I'm looking at all the crises that have gone on in the world that God has just supernaturally come in and brought revivals and moves of God and raised up people we were raised. And I'm looking at this COVID thing saying, God, who are you going to raise up? And I'm not looking for our politicians. I'm not looking for the media. I'm not looking for the news. I'm looking in the house. I'm looking out of the house. I'm looking at people that are saved and unsaved. And I think God may be saying, okay, I think I'll go over here to Antifa. I think I'll get one of them Antifa people. I think I'll get one of them saved. And, and you know, the white supremacists saying, that's not going to work for me. Okay, well, I'll pick a white supremacist. Like, no, 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 no. They build their whole lives on hate and racism. We can't pick them. You know what? You and I don't get to choose who God picks. We've got to love people regardless of where they are. We've got to love people regardless of what they've done. Our job is not to judge them. Our, God is, our job is to love them. We can judge deeds. That's bad. That's good. But we can't judge people. In the early 1900s, God needed to bring America a revival. Who's he going to pick? D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, some of those great old preachers, Smith Wigglesworth? No. God goes to Los Angeles. I've always thought that fault was out there so that state would just fall over in the ocean. <laughs> but God, that, that's my Texas roots. That's not the heart of God. God loves people in California and New York City. Yeah. And he picks William Seymour, an 80-year-old African-American man who is blind in one eye that carries a Bible he's not literate enough to read. Calls him to a place called Azusa Street and pours out the Holy Spirit at a level that America had never seen. And Pentecost comes to America just like the upper room in the book of Acts chapter 2. 
And out of that revival, out of that outpouring, the earth was shaken, America was shaken, and now the world has been shaken. There are 279 million classic Pentecostal believers in the world. There are 305 million charismatics in the world. That means in the world today, there are 584 million spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians that are sowing the light of the gospel around the world. Who would have picked that guy to do it? We can all get to that guy. But most of us have a harder time thinking God would choose me. And yet God chose you. While you were in your mother's womb, God handcrafted every embryo in your body, every cell, for a purpose. And at some point, you've heard the Holy Spirit knock. I'm calling you to that person. I'm calling you to that ministry. I'm calling you to those people. I'm calling you to that assignment. I'm calling you to that service. I'm calling you to that political office. I'm calling you to that school as a teacher. I'm calling you to be a mother. I'm calling you to be a person that takes care of you. I, we, there's, the, the call of God is ongoing, often, and eternal. But when you sense that call to something that is beyond your comfort zone, the words that we've heard You're not that smart. You're not that talented. You're not that gifted. You can't make it. You're not qualified. You're not educated enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You take all of those, and then you take self-condemnation. I failed at this. I messed up that marriage. I lived immorally. I did drugs and alcohol, and I hurt people. I, I, I ripped off my family. I, you, you take all the stuff that we're aware of in our humanity, and we condemn ourselves. And rather than going back to the Word, which is where I started, that there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. That, that we all sins are forgiven and we're made a brand new. Rather than letting that get into the dominant thought of our mind, we let shame and guilt control our yes. None of the people I talked to you about that God chose were any more qualified to do the miraculous things God used them to do than you are to do what God's called you to do. So whether you're in this room or online, I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And Father, I pray today that you would speak to the hearts of people. Let your Holy Spirit just quicken the hearts. God, there are people that have buried a dream. They've buried a calling. They've, they've shut it out. They've said it's too late. I'm too old. I'm too 
uh, busy, I've too complicated my life, let them be still right now. And let the Spirit of God speak to them to revive that dream, resurrect it, to restore and resurrect that calling. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And whether you're here in this room or online, if you'd say, Mari, as you've preached today, I realize I've limited what I believe God called me to do. And I need to let God fulfill that will in my life. Whether it's resurrect the dream or the calling. If that's you today and you'd let me pray for you, would you just slip up a hand? Just slip them up all over and they're going up all over. If you're there at the house, just go online and respond. Somebody's ready to respond. If your hand's up, would you just stand up? Your hand's up, would you just stand up all over this room? All the way back over there. All the way up there. You know, the Bible says be in subjection to the the authority. And so we recognize that. That's why I'm going to pray for you where you are rather than give an altar call because we don't want to create a problem with our government. And it's not necessary. God can minister to you right there just as much as he can at this altar. So I'm going to pray for you before pastor comes. And I want you to remember, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. And you can do all things through Christ. Now, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for the people that are standing in this room that by your Spirit, you would set them free. By the anointing of the Spirit of God, all of the chains of insecurity, lack of confidence, self-condemnation be broken. And I pray that the Spirit of power and love and a sound mind would flow from the front of this room to the back of this room, from the bottom to the top, and through that camera into homes that are watching. I pray your ministry would be done in such a way that your kingdom would be glorified and people would realize their value to the call in the kingdom of God. Bless your people. Let them know that you call them. Now let them go where you've called them to go. In Christ's name. God bless you, Westover. Pastor, amen.